Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much for giving your heart and soul tonight as we worship as one church. Amen. As one church. A body of believers committed to glorify one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which men can be saved. In fact, I don't know how you come tonight. My hope is that you will leave encouraged, challenged, convicted. You know, we have an opportunity tonight to be reminded about why we read this book. This book is filled with the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's filled with story after story and person after person who has been transformed by the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And it's why we're here tonight. In fact, it's a great night to start a new series. They're just finding my podium. It's okay. I talk with my hands, so I feel like I'm trapped. All you people at Cyprus know right now. Thank you, Jeff. You're the bomb. Thank you very much for that, too. Now you got to watch out because I'm free. <laughs> Tonight we're going to start the book of Acts and it's this amazing account of the empowering of God's spirit into people who have given their lives to his mission, setting the world on fire. It's, it's their story and it's our story and it's going to continue to be our story. It's been Bayou City's story for 10 years and now it's going to be even more so. You know, I used to have this longing, this deep fire in my belly to be married I was single and I was like, oh God. So you guys had the same one, it sounds like. But I did, I remember this, this deep longing and I remember very distinctly, I won't tell you about it now, but God made it very clear. He said, hey, I get that, but I need you to wait. And if you'll wait and if you will seek and pursue me, I will bring something into your life. I will not only fulfill your longing, but I will set you on a lifelong pursuit that is way too big for you to even ask for because you don't have any idea what you need. I was like, okay, that sounds like a great plan to me. And five and a half years later, five and a half years, I know, I had a few bumps along the road because waiting is hard, isn't it? Right? When you have this deep longing, when you're anticipating something great, in fact, something too big for yourself, what ends up happening is you, you kind of wrestle. There's some tension. There's some things that build up in you. And then God brought my wife and my two daughters all at the same time. And I was like, okay, God, that's funny. See, I don't know how you come here. Like, if you're a believer... Right? We lived with this anticipation, right? When you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, God, I'm ready for this God-sized task that you have for me. God, I'm ready for whatever it is you have for me. In fact, I know there's going to be somebody who doesn't believe that you're going to ask me to love on today. I know there's somebody who is broken that you need me to tend to their wounds, right? You wake up like that. This passionate, longing anticipation for something greater than yourself. I don't know, maybe if you're wandering today, maybe you come here like, wow, what you're talking about is great, but I don't know any Christians like that. I don't know. I'm not assuming anybody in this room, but maybe people that you know, people that you grew up with. Right? I this, this anticipation, because we have something deep inside us tells us that 
We were built for something amazing. We were built for something too big for ourselves. In fact, we were built for something that is so far outside our own ability to accomplish that we know that we need help. This is where the disciples found themselves as we turn to the book of Acts. There was this anticipation that had been building up in their lives because the writer of the book of Acts is the same writer of the book of Luke, right? Luke is the author of Luke, and he tells us about the life and ministry of Jesus. And he left them with very specific instructions. And as most human beings, they were hoping for a very literal leader and a literal kingdom to come now. They wanted to be on the top. And they thought Jesus was going to come and lead them to the top of the world order. And what we're going to find today, and as we move through the book of Acts, is that the kingdom that he was talking about was something so far outside their ability to even ask for. The book of Acts could be called, instead of the Acts of the Apostles, it actually could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Huh? And it says this in the book of Acts. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want. I have no idea what page it is on yours, but... Verses 1 and 2 says this, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. See, the Gospel of Luke tells of Christ's ministry on earth in a physical body, while Acts tells of his ministry from heaven through his spiritual body, the church. That's you and me. It's what he did through his spirit in his people to accomplish his work on this earth, the church. Verse 3 says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. I want you to hold on to that. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This is not about a political leader coming down to rule and reign over the earth. This is about King Jesus and his rule and reign in the hearts of those who will lay down their lives, accept his substitution to follow him, to obey him, and to live selflessly on this earth before they are taken up to be with him forever. This is a different kind of kingdom, isn't it? See, a kingdom on earth is filled with all sorts of crazy stuff. You guys don't really think about crazy stuff, right? This world is super easy. I don't know why they're here. We'll see. Your lives does good. I'm glad. You, we live, kingdoms on earth create pain and suffering. Division. Heck, you can't even talk about getting a gallon of gas without getting a fight with anybody these days. See, but the kingdom he was talking about was a kingdom of healing and purpose and passion and salvation and forgiveness and mercy and grace, and it was going to be forever. It says that he uh, presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. The road to Emmaus, Peter's reinstatement on the beach. He ate, he ate with his disciples, his followers. He showed them his hands and his feet so that the lie that was being perpetuated that his followers stole his body couldn't be true. 
and this kingdom of God, how in the world were they going to accomplish this command that Jesus gave them? See, Luke 24, you can go and read about it. It talks about how he said, I want you to go and I want you to wait. Verses 4 and 5 of Acts 1 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. See, in John 15, he even says, I'm going to send you my spirit, but I need you to wait for it. Don't go jumping into this grand purpose on your own power. But I need you to wait. Can't you imagine that? Could you imagine seeing Jesus turning water to wine, bringing people from the dead, healing the lame and the blind, right? Throwing down on the Pharisees. Could you imagine the convincing things that they saw? They witnessed God in flesh who walked with them and he said, wait. I don't listen. I was waiting. What I was amazing. What I waited for was way better than I thought. Could you imagine? What was developing in them? Okay, we're ready. They were waiting to go. God sent us in. We're ready. They were waiting for this Holy Spirit. Could you imagine what they had seen? See, every Christian needs to move out of Luke's gospel into Acts. Knowing about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is enough for salvation, but not for spirit-empowered service. In order to be witnesses and to build the kingdom of God, we have to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And this is what the disciples were waiting for. What do you wait for when you wake up in the morning? Are you anticipating the Spirit moving you into a kingdom of God-sized life? When you came here tonight, did you say, oh, God, I can't wait. God's got something great tonight. He's going to build the kingdom tonight. He's going to set us up tonight. Do you wake up or do you think about earthly, small, kingdom-minded things? I know I slip into that. We all slip into this. But the disciples were waiting for the empowering of God's Spirit to accomplish a purpose and a plan that was far too big for them to accomplish on their own. And it just built up. Is it here yet? And I bet it built up. What was that? (laughs) They hear a little wind blow. Oh my gosh, here it comes. This is what they were waiting for. It's what we should be waiting for. Kevin's going to come up here and he's going to continue in this first chapter. But I want to leave you with this. What is it that you're waiting for? What would your days look like if you woke up every day anticipating the movement of God in your life? How would you engage people, every people, every person, every situation, all the things you don't know, the things that are too big and the things that are too small? What would it be like if you woke up every day with a holy, passionate anticipation for the empowering of God to do something that only he can do through you. Kevin's going to come and we're going to continue in Acts chapter 1. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, If you've never experienced a preacher off, you're about to get it, all right? Does this sound good to you? Johnny just killed it, so we'll do the best we can with what we got going. I'm doing Acts uh, chapter 1, 6 through eight. So continue reading Acts chapter one, verses six through eight. So when they had come together, they were, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends 
of the earth. Jesus in this moment gives them their mission, gives them their starting points and the direction of their life. I, I, I love watching, the, watching movies. And one of the movie series that I absolutely love, the best trilogy of all time is Lord of the Rings. I was hoping someone would say it. It was, it's the Lord of the Rings. And, and with the beginning of the movie, this, this amazing moment happens when these few hobbits are together and they're walking through the woods and, and, and Sam and Frodo had gone on this mission. They're going to take this ring to Mordor. And as they're walking along, Sam asks this amazing question to his buddy Frodo. He says this, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. You ever ask yourself that question? What, what story am I a part of? What tale am I in? It's been well said by, um, uh, attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not sure who actually said it, but it's something like this. The two most important days of your life is this, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. See, you were created for a purpose and you are part of a story that has been moving from eternity past and has a direction towards the future. And you are caught up in that mission, that story, that purpose. And what is that story? Well, it's the story of a perfect king, the risen Jesus. That's who we're talking about. That's what Johnny was just saying. A perfect king Jesus who lived a perfect life, died in our place for our sins, was resurrected. The grave could not hold him. And he's a king with a message. And his message is a restoring of hope to the world. The relationship with his heavenly father. See, we have a perfect king with a message. And where do we fall within the story? We are people with a mission. We are people on that mission. And there's two real points in our, my time that I want to give you. And it's this. First of all, if we are generally people with a mission, if that's the story that we're caught up in, the first is this, to not be distracted. And secondly, to focus on your part within the mission. The first is to not be distracted. Verse 6 says it this way. Now, when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What the disciples were expecting was a literal physical return of Jesus and a kingdom that was set up. In fact, the disciples earlier on, when Jesus was on his way to the cross, wanted the same thing. Two of the disciples, James and John, come up to Jesus with their mama. And her mama says, hey, hey, mom, go talk to Jesus. And Jesus, and, and the mom walks up to Jesus and says, hey, will you, will my boys be able to sit at your right and left hand when you're reigning in glory? And Jesus says, do you even know what you're asking? He says, hey, hey that's not mine to give. And so there is an, a reality that there is a physical reign of Christ that, that may come in the future. A new heavens and a new earth is going to be restored, but, but not now, not at this moment. So don't get distracted by that mission. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He says, look, you, you don't know when that's going to play out, but you have a specific mission. But we so often get distracted. I have uh, four kids. My youngest is a five-year-old daughter. And this was a conversation I had last week. I'm sitting here talking with her, and she goes, Daddy, let me tell you what happened at school. She started kindergarten, which is amazing. And, uh, and she loves it. And she starts telling me the story. Hey, I met this person and this friend and this friend. She's going along. And then all of a sudden, she looks out the window of our house, and there's a butterfly. She goes, mid-sentence, Daddy, there's a butterfly. And she walks over to the, out the window, and she starts looking. She's like, Daddy, do you see the butterfly? I'm like, babe, we were having this whole other dialogue right here, and you just, like, went to left field. Like, what just happened? And, and it's not just kids. It's us, too. Uh, there's times I'm like, I'm like, I need to find my keys. Where are my keys? And I have this thing. Like, I can't get distracted. I need to find my keys. And you go to this thing. And I walk into the next room and I'm standing there in the room. And you've probably done this. You're like, what am I, 
What am I doing here? And I, and I just circle for a moment, like, what, what's, what, I know I was here for a reason. And I walk to the next room and just trying to figure out, like, we get distracted. We lose focus so often in life. And when it comes to the mission of Jesus, that mission that, that Johnny was talking about, we wake up in the morning to do this purpose. So often we get distracted by so many small things. So many things that we miss our big part in the big story that Jesus is weaving through history. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, you're going to be empowered for the mission that I'm sending you on. See, don't get distracted with all the minutiae of life. Stay focused on the, the thing that matters most. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for this mission. We're going to look at more about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our journey through the book of Acts, particularly in chapter 2 when we see the Holy Spirit come. But each believer has the indwelling Holy Spirit. God himself is alive within you to regenerate you, to renew you so that you may know God and be empowered to do his work in the world. See, Jesus doesn't send you out without the resources. He empowers you with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he says, I want you to be focused on this mission. And he gives him the marching orders. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria until the ends of of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. That word witness is the word we, uh, it's martyreo. It's where we get our word martyr. It's that you are going to be my people that testify about me to the world. He says you're going to be in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Interestingly, those of you Bible nerds like me, you're like, hey, is there ever an outline of the book? That is the outline of the book of Acts. You see God move from Jerusalem in Acts 1 through 7 to Judea and Samaria, Acts 8 through 12, to the remotest part of the earth, Acts 13 through 28. And you see God fulfilling this promise through the disciples. And guess what? This is the mission that we're on. If you think about what's your purpose in the world, it's this. Think about it in terms of concentric circles. You have a responsibility, first of all, in, in Jerusalem. That's, that's the region of the starting point. That's your, your closest area of influence. Then Judea Samaria, it's that, it's that cultural boundary that you go over that next cultural barrier and it's to the ends of the earth. But the first place is this, your Jerusalem. It's the starting point. For the, for the disciples, that was the place of greatest impact. That was the place where Jesus was crucified. That's where the message was going to go first. And it wasn't the place where the disciples were most comfortable. It was the place where they were most needed. I think that's really important. It's not the place where they were most comfortable. They had just watched their Savior get crucified, right? 40 days, a month beforehand, they, they had watched him die. But that was the place where Jesus could say, yes, this is where it's going to start. And there were his witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you this question. Where is your Jerusalem? Your Jerusalem is that place of influence right within your sphere of influence. And so that's where you live. That's where you work. That's where you play. It's where you live. It's your house or your apartment or your friends that are right around you. That's, that's your first nexus of connection. Or it's, it's where you work. It's your coworkers. Or it's where you play. Or if you have kids, it's where your kids play because you don't play anymore. You, you go to soccer games. Like that's where your play is. Do you have any hobbies? Yes. I drive my kids from one event to the next. That's my hobby. Um, it may be there. And, and listen, no person in that sphere of influence 
is outside of the realm of the work of God. One of my desires is that every person I interact with, where I live, work, or I play, is a person that I can at one point share the gospel with. That's my goal in my live, work, and play. What's yours? Have you identified those people right there in your Jerusalem, your little sphere of influence that you can encourage with the gospel? And listen, God's working in their heart even if they push back at first. God's doing something there. So just take a moment. Who is in that sphere that God may be working on their hearts right now that you could share the gospel with, have a personal conversation with? Who is it there in your live, work, and play? But not just in the live, work, and play. The next place, not your just Jerusalem. He says, Judea, Samaria. And this is a geographical bump. Samaria was was a, a cultural barrier for them. The Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. It was those people that were, there were others. They were outsiders. They were that next realm of influence. And, and so disciples had a responsibility to take the gospel beyond what was comfortable to some areas that were not comfortable. And listen, Bayou City has been a part of that mission, that part of the mission for the past 10 years. See, it started as a small group in Spring Branch. Many of you were not even around when that happened 10 years ago. 10 years ago, oh my gosh, when was that? It was forever ago. And that, that 10 year period is that group of people gathered together, started seeking the Lord together, reaching their friends, families, and neighbors with the gospel and people started becoming changed. And then it moved all the way out to Cyprus. Hey, God's doing something. Let's expand to that crazy other barrier over there to, to those people in Cyprus. They're not like anything here in Spring Branch. They're, they're weird. They're over there in Cyprus and, and do you think God could reach people out there? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to, to make some of them love Him. And maybe He's working out there. And uh, I'm being facetious. All right. And then He moves out to Cyprus and, and God starts doing an amazing work there. We get a building for a dollar. What? And then God is moving and lives are being changed. And, and then there's this other group of people and they're like, who else could be reached? I don't know. What is the, the, the uttermost, what is the most Samaritan of Samaritans? May, maybe out there in the outer recesses of, 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 of Tomball. Like, could God move in Tomball? I don't know. Let's send some folks. And all of a sudden, God has been doing amazing things in Tomball. But, but God gathered this community out there in Tomball, seeking the Lord together. And God has been on the move, hopping barriers, making cultural advancements, and spreading His word to the uttermost. He's been doing it for the past 10 years and he's continuing to do it, but not just in those cultural barriers. He says, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. By the end of the book of Acts, we get Paul going all the way to the ends of the earth. And let me just tell you what, the gospel has done that throughout history. In fact, it started in this small little area of Jerusalem. And today, over 60% of Christians live in the global south, there are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians all over the world, millions of Christians all over the world that have been impacted by this small group of people that said, you know what, maybe Jesus is worth it. Maybe this same message that changed me can change the world. And maybe, maybe I'll let myself get caught up in that story. A couple highlights from the past 10 years. We sent out five missionaries to the ends of the earth. 
Uh, we'll have maps and locations um, around. Of where we sent people to the ends of the earth. We sent short-term mission trips to Ecuador, Mexico, Haiti, Cuba, France, all over the world. In 2016, um, BCF adopted an unreached people group in North Africa, the uh, Shawi, and through partnership, have engaged in the local partnership at church in France to reach the, that particular people group. In 2018, we initiated a pastor training program in Ecuador. It's a five-year program, and BCF teams have going there twice a year. That is what God has been doing, his goodness and his faithfulness, and the people of this church saying, you know what? The world is worth reaching, and let's be a part of that global mission. And where are we going in the future? BCF aims to send, uh, be a sending church, training up missionaries here locally to go globally. We're being sent as a witness all across the world. We are literally training people right now with a heart to reach unreached people groups across the world. And they're in process now. BCF, BCF will uh, provide a training and equipping for our members to go through perspectives courses and go training. We are going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not because BCF's great. I want to be care- careful about this. It's because Jesus is great. Because his mission is worth it. And because his mission is worth it, my life is worth it. And I'm, my life is caught up in this great mission. The church is not an escape from the world, but an extension of God's work in the world. And, we get, and when God's people unite under God's power, focused on God's mission, the world is drenched by a tidal wave of his hope. Robert Moffat great missionary of old, says this, we have all of eternity in which to celebrate our victories, but only one swift hour before sunset in which to win them. You have all of eternity to celebrate what God has done in your life, but only one short hour in which to win them. Get caught up in that mission. If you love Jesus, would you say amen? Amen. If you worship Jesus, would you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Uh, From that message there, I have a takeaway that the folks in Tombaugh are Samaritans. Is that true? (laughs) What's up, dog? Uh, I want to offer this. The greatest trilogy is actually Batman because... uh, Y'all don't know this, but uh, Batman's a Christian movie. Because there's a commissioner by the name of Commissioner Gordon, who in all the movies he gives Bruce Wayne a commission. And when Bruce Wayne has a commission, the Riddler, the Joker, somebody, he never goes out as Bruce Wayne. He makes sure that in this battle that he's about to face, he puts on the full armor. Y'all with me? And the Holy Spirit... The Greek word is parakletos, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help out. And Batman always has Robin, the one who comes alongside to help out, to fulfill the commission given by the commissioner. Um, I'm not talking about that today. Uh, Almost 12 years ago to the day, Simon Sinek gave a TED Talk, which is now the most widely viewed TED Talk of all time. September 16th of 2009, right outside of Seattle, Simon Sinek gave a TED Talk called What Great Leaders Do to Inspire Action. 
And in this TED Talk, perhaps you've heard it or read his book, the researcher, writer, speaker, Simon Siddick says, before you get to what to do, before you even get how to do something, so before you say, be his witnesses to build this kingdom, what to do, and even how to do it, all the things that Kevin just talked about, both locally and globally, you have to start with the why. You have to inspire people with this motive or reason or a because. And so what we want to look at to wrap up Acts chapter 1 is verses 9 through 11. And in 9 through 11, Jesus, who I believe to be the greatest leader ever, gives four becauses. Why should we be his witnesses to build his kingdom? He gives us four becauses, four reasons, four motives that hopefully will inspire us to give our lives, our time, our money, our talents, our energy to being his witnesses to build his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, and I'll read it in our hearing. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here's the first reason why, and it's found there in verse 9. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now this cloud that takes Jesus out of their sight, the word there, out of sight, take him out, is literally the word undertaker, took him under. He was buried in the cloud. And don't think nimbus clouds or cumus clouds. Think Old Testament. Think the Shekinah glory. It was the glory cloud of God. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, when the priests encountered the glory cloud, rather than going into it and being embraced or taken under by the glory cloud, because they were sinful men, they stayed away from the glory cloud. And what this is, is the first because... He was embraced by this glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, which was God's sign that he accepted his son, that he approved of his son because, write this down, he is your Lord. He is your Lord. And that's what the kingdom is. Like John explained, the kingdom is not a place, United Kingdom, Magic Kingdom. It's not a place. It's a person, Jesus Christ. And the question to ask yourself when it comes to that is, who is ruling over my life? Or looking at your own life, what do I control and what do I own? And he says in this uh, section here, he says, because Jesus was enveloped by the cloud, accepted by God, finished by God, he says God embraced him, it shows that he is Lord. And if you don't know that word Lord, we don't use it all the time, just think of it this way. Because he is your king, because he's your ruler, because he's your emperor, because he's your president, and you're looking for a reason why we should be his witnesses to build his kingdom, he gives the first reason right here, is because he is Lord. Amen? And you can write this. Because he is Lord always, from time past to eternity future, Jesus is always Lord. And if that's not motive enough for you to be his witnesses to build his kingdom, I'm going to give you three more reasons. Second one is this. He says in verse 11, these two dressed in white, and I believe that they're the angels that appeared in Luke chapter 24, the same angels. 
Because Luke wrote in Luke 24, the same description, he says in verse 11, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. So here's the thing. Jesus not only ascended, now seated at the right hand of the Father, these two angels, messengers, tell the disciples and tell us the same way Jesus rose up, he's going to come back, come back again. Here's the second reason, the second because, the second motive, because he is your hope. He is your hope. We know that as followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what we go through, difficult seasons in life, difficult seasons as a church or a ministry, it is not the end of the story. Don't put a period there, put a comma, because the story's not finished. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we always have hope. Jesus is coming back again. Everything that's wrong with our world, He will make right. Every pain, He will heal. Everything that needs to be redeemed, He will redeem. Everything that needs to be restored, He will restore because He is your hope. Back in 2003, the Cleveland Cavaliers drafted a player many of us probably know, LeBron James. They call him King James. And so in 2005, November 2005, Nike, in combination with a Cleveland Cavaliers started this big promotion where they made a 200-foot-wide sign, 100 feet tall, right by the Cleveland Cavaliers arena, and it showed LeBron James tossing the chalk up in the air with his arms wide, and it simply said, we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. And he had started a whole line of shirts that simply said, witness, witness. And it was saying to the people, to the fans of Cleveland, that you can have hope because the king is here. But this is what happened. You all know he eventually left. He had the decision. He went back down to Miami, but he came back a second time around. And it wasn't until 2016, 12 years later, that LeBron James, King James, secured a championship. You all, my friends, this is what Jesus Christ did. He secured the championship the first time he came. But he's coming back again and we can have hope. We can have hope. This is not the end of the story. We've been through some tough times this year, both individually and as a church, but it's not the end of the story. So, He is your Lord always, but He is your hope today. He's your hope today. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but perhaps you came through these doors battling all kinds of things, struggling, and you came requiring and needing a message of hope. Hope is found in Jesus Christ. Third reason. He says, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same ways you saw him going to heaven. You can underline that verse there. Next time you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door and they say that Jesus came back in 1914 invisibly, point him to that verse. He says, when Jesus Christ comes back, the whole world will know. He will come back physically, bodily. He will come back again and we will see it. But here's the third reason why. You're not going to like this. Because he's your judge. He's your judge. Jesus was embraced by God. He was accepted by God. He's going to come back again, which shows us that we are now accepted by God as well. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, we're now accepted by God. But acceptance does not remove accountability. So he says, be his witnesses to build his kingdom. Why? Because Jesus Christ is your judge. He will come back 
And one day, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, that every single one of us who name the name of Jesus, who place our faith in Jesus Christ, we will stand before Him and give an account with what we did, whether good or bad. That should put a little bit of fear in you. It does for me. The sermons I preach, the interactions I have, what I do with my money and my time. God says that He will hold you accountable. He says, you've heard the word. Be His witnesses to build this kingdom. He's given you the resources, the gifts. He's given you a great church. He's equipped you. And one day, individually, not as a family, you will stand before Jesus Christ, the Bema Seat, and have to give an account for what you did in your lifetime. So much like this with parents who tell their children, your room is a mess. I'm going to come back in four hours. It's like your boss who says, I'm going to put you on this project and work with your project manager. This is what you need to do and we'll check on you in a month. You know that this person has given you an assignment, has given you a mission, and they're going to come back and hold you accountable. We don't like that word, but he's going to hold you accountable. But here's the last reason, and Johnny touched on this. And I'm sorry, he's your judge tomorrow. So he is your Lord always. He is your hope today. He is your judge tomorrow. And finally, in verse 3, Jesus for 40 days spoke about the kingdom. Paul, Roman prison, at the very end in Acts 28 verses 30 and 31, he says that he was teaching about the kingdom of God. So Acts is a kingdom book. It's about the spread, the growth, the advancement of Christ's kingdom, the rule of Jesus Christ in people's hearts. So Acts starts with the kingdom of God and it ends with the kingdom of God. So here's the last why. Here's the last motive. Here's the last reason. If you need something to inspire you, the reason why we be His witnesses to build His kingdom is because only His kingdom is eternal. Only Christ's kingdom is eternal. No other kingdom is eternal. Only Christ's kingdom is eternal. I was reminded of that uh, recently in my one-year Bible. I was going through Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we find this. We find that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's a mess. He's had this nightmare. He doesn't know how to interpret it. So he goes to all his wise men, his sorcerers and magicians, and says, hey, can somebody interpret my dream? And no one can. Finally, they bring Daniel. And everyone else says, hey, can you at least give us a hint like what your dream was about? And the king says, no, because that would be cheating. And so he says, Daniel, what did I dream? And give me the interpretation. Daniel says this. God shows him. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you had a dream in which there was a giant statue before you. The head was gold. The body and arms are silver. The trunk was made of bronze. The legs of iron and the feet were a mixture of iron and clay. And he says, this is the interpretation. The head is you. It's your kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. The body of silver, the arms of silver are the kingdom to come. The Medes and the Persians, the trunk of bronze is the kingdom of Greece. The legs of iron are the kingdom of Rome. And the feet of iron and clay are another kingdom to come, which I would say is the modern world, the kingdom that we live in today. And in that dream, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a rock which is cut out not by human hands. And that rock hit the bottom of that statue and that entire statue crumbled. This is the interpretation all of these kingdoms, Rome, Babylon, Medes, and Persians, no matter how great, they are not eternal kingdoms. 
But this kingdom that's going to come, which is Christ's kingdom, will crush them all and it will eventually take over the world because it is an eternal kingdom. And so if you need something to give your life to, Give your life to that eternal kingdom by fully submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the good news, being his witness, and seeing others come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Because all other kingdoms will fail. I was reminded of that by my spiritual mama. My spiritual mama, Miss Sylvia Stewart, She's Dr. Evans' executive assistant. When I worked for Dr. Evans, she took me and my wife under her wings as her own children. Even to this day, she'll sign emails saying, your mom or Mama Sylvia, and I'll call her, you know, she'll call me her son. I didn't know this about her, but one day I was with our youth, and we were at the bowling alley just having fun, playing bowling. And I saw her in, if you've seen competitive bowlers, she had like this pink outfit on with the pants, and the name of her team was like the Pink Tigers or something. And so the next day, I, I, I talked to her and I said, hey, I saw you yesterday. It's good to see you. And she said, yeah, um, I'm on a bowling team. And we used to be one of the top bowling teams in Texas. We travel all around the country playing these bowling tournaments. And it was all black women. And so we were playing these tournaments. And we were like very different because we compete against these teams that are largely not black. And this is what I noticed about Miss Sylvia, Mama Sylvia. It wasn't like us where we were like using two hands to bowl. She had this. I don't know if there's any competitive bowl. Let me try to mock over here, walk over here. So, so she would like line up perfectly right here, hold the ball in her hand like this perfectly. And she would stare down and then she would roll the ball with that curve thing, you know, like this, and then end with a leg like perfect like this. And she'd hold it, bang, and all the pins would go down. Strike. She would throw strike after strike after strike. Me and the youth on the other lanes, gutter ball, gutter ball, gutter ball. She would keep throwing these perfect strikes right down the lane. Strike, 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 strike. And at that moment, God began to speak to me. And so you know what? The kingdoms of this world are the pins. Christ's kingdom, his rule and reign is the ball. And God the Father is throwing that ball. And just like Mama Sylvia our God, the God that you and I serve, he only throws strikes. The pins are the kingdoms of this world. The ball is Christ's kingdom. God the Father is bowling and he only throws strikes. So here's the question I have for you. Your job, you may have some authority there. You may have some income there. You may have some reign there. But you know what? One day that kingdom, that pin, is going to be knocked down by Christ's kingdom. So here's my question. Are you going to invest in that or in Christ's kingdom? You know what? You may have gone to a great institution like Texas A&M or Eastern Texas or Baylor, but those are all just pins because one day Christ's kingdom is going to knock all those pins down. You may have a lot of authority in your own life. You may have a team that you manage. You may have a, a, a group of people that you oversee. You may be a CFO, CEO, but one day that job, that company also, Christ's kingdom is going to knock them all down. And so the question is, are you going to invest in the pins, the political parties, the countries, the nations, the corporations, the educational institutions, the communities, which are all going to be knocked down, or are you going to invest your life, time, energy, and money 
in the ball. Because I don't know about you all, but the God I serve only throws strikes.